Manuel Jaminez Shum, an indigenous Maya Quiche man, moved to the United States in 2003, leaving his wife and three children back in the town of Sheshak in Guatemala. He wanted to work hard, save money, and eventually return home to make a better life for his family. In Los Angeles, he lived in a small studio apartment with 11 other men, and every morning, he would make his way to a nearby Home Depot parking lot to look for day labor jobs. Seven years later, on September 5, 2010, Manuel was confronted by an L.A. police department officer near MacArthur Park. He was intoxicated and allegedly holding a knife. As LAPD approached him, they shouted commands in both Spanish and English, but Manuel did not speak either language. He was not able to comply and was shot twice in the head. The shooting was later declared justified by LAPD. Manuel may have been deemed a threat to the community while intoxicated, but there's absolutely no excuse for the gun to have been aimed at his head. This tragic event sparked outrage from indigenous communities in Los Angeles and in Guatemala. Welcome back to another episode of The Pulsa Podcast. I'm your host, Liz. And I'm Maribel. And today we're talking about something that Latinos sometimes ignore or even forget. Indigenous peoples are often relegated to things of the past, but they are very much still here. And they are facing resistance and opposition from all sides, whether it's political, social, economic, you name it. So let's take some time to consider the struggles and the resilience of the indigenous peoples of our region. You're listening to the Pulsa Podcast. We'll be right back. Um, y Aurora, Aurora y Maya Canjubal y Maya Cateco Inan. My name is Aurora Pedro, and I introduce myself in Maya Acateco. It's the language that I was born with, that my family speaks, and my family brought here to the U.S. Um, with their migration story. This is Aurora Pedro. She's the manager of the Center for Indigenous Languages and Power at Cielo. Cielo, which stands for Comunidades Indígenas en Liderazgo, is an organization that provides interpretation services and resources to indigenous migrant communities in Los Angeles. There's a high number of Maya Quiche and Maya Canjobal who only speak their indigenous language. So how do you service a community if we aren't recognizing their indigeneity? In response to the outrage and protests, the LAPD began working with Cielo to address the massive gaps in communication and to bring awareness and understanding of the many distinct indigenous communities in the surrounding Los Angeles area. It's a right to be provided interpretation to understand the information that's being given to you. Aurora's father was born in Holom Conob and her mother in San Miguel Acatán, both in the Huehuetenango region of Guatemala. From the 1960s to 1996, uh, there was what, what is known as the Guatemalan Civil War. And during the 1980s, it was the most brutal years, most violent and bloody years in what we call were the genocidal years of the Civil War. In 1982, Aurora's family had to leave Guatemala because of growing threats of violence in her town. My parents... Um, really did not want to leave. I don't think it's talked about enough how, you know, leaving your home, especially for indigenous people who have been in their home for generations and it's their ancestral home. It was really hard for my parents to accept that, but they knew if they didn't leave, um, they would be good as dead. Aurora's parents were then displaced to Chiapas, Mexico, 
then San Diego, and finally Los Angeles, which is where Aurora and her siblings were born. Being indigenous, um, not speaking Spanish or English, my parents raised us with our language, uh, Maya Acateco. This confused a lot of people on how to really interact with my family when my family was trying to reach out for resources or for assistance. And my mom, she was commonly mislabeled as um, a Latina or a Hispanic. She understood a little bit of Spanish, obviously, from like crossing multiple borders and for survival. But Spanish was not a language that she was comfortable with. Aurora began to translate for her parents at a young age. That background led her to seek training for interpretation in 2017. How will folks understand what the community needs are if we can't even get past basic communication? Part of the work is educating that Indigenous peoples are not Latino, not Hispanic, and understanding that we do have a right to exist as an Indigenous person, free of fear, free of discrimination. That's Juanita Cabrera Lopez. She is a member of the Maya Mam Nation in the Western Highlands of Guatemala and the executive director of the International Mayan League. When you don't identify what native nation they're a part of, then we won't be able to provide adequate services in terms of language, which is the most basic human right to express what happened to you, why you're fleeing, did you encounter a violent um, situation in your migration journey, what kind of trauma are you coming with, The answers to these questions can decide the fate of someone arriving to the United States. And oftentimes, the lack of communication channels can be deadly. In 2018, under Donald Trump's administration, a, quote, zero-tolerance policy was adopted across the U.S.-Mexico border. This resulted in immediate separation between children and parents or guardians upon entering the United States. The consequences of this inhumane policy devastated the lives of countless migrants many of them indigenous peoples. That same year, Jacqueline Calmaquin, a seven-year-old Maya Kekchi girl, died while in custody of U.S. Border Patrol. Her indigeneity was not recognized that of her and her family, of her father. And uh, she died because of complications with infection, with the flu. But what if her father had been able to provide the context of her health? We believe that if they had been afforded a Maya language interpreter of Maya Kekchi, perhaps she wouldn't have died. When we are denied our right to exist as indigenous, our right to our languages and our right to simply be, it has life and death consequences. In that same year, 2018, Claudia Patricia Gomez Gonzalez, a 20-year-old Maya Mam woman, also died at the border. She was shot in the head by a U.S. Border Patrol agent. What possible reason could there have been for this brutal act to take place? There is still, today, tremendous amounts of violence, persecution, criminalization, and killing of our people because we are indigenous. It's not something from 500 years ago. We're treated as invaders in our own lands. And when we're forced to cross borders that were imposed over our peoples and our nations, we're told that we're illegal, that we don't belong. Juanita's words are powerful and devastatingly true. There's a long history of violence and erasure of indigenous peoples in the Americas. 
It's not an accident that many of us don't know a lot about whose lands we're on. That's Tony Lucero. He's a professor at the University of Washington, where he specializes in topics surrounding indigeneity and politics across the Americas. We, in the general sense, think about indigenous peoples in the past tense as uh, things that are in history books or museums. And that is exactly what colonialism wants us to think about. They want us to think that history unfolds as European settlers come and create this new republic and indigenous people, almost by definition, are eliminated. Our histories don't begin with the independence of Peru or the independence of Mexico or Guatemala or Colombia, but rather even prior to the arrival of Europeans, right? Emil Keme is Quiche Maya. He's a professor of English literature and native studies at Emory University and a fellow at the Radcliffe Institute at Harvard University. I can trace my history as a Maya person even thousands of years prior to 1492, right? Between 250 and 900 before Christ. That's when Maya civilization has flourished. It has become a, a civilization with its own writing system, its own spiritual values, its own political structures. And then once Europeans begin to invade our homelands, then all of that is destroyed. New countries are formed with new names and new borders. You can think of the Wayu people, for example, you know, like one day they wake up and, and one half is Venezuela and the other half becomes Colombian, right? But for them, like the border uh, is just an imaginary line. Nations and systems were created over us, not only physically over our lands, but also over our bodies, over our philosophies, over our ideologies. We're invisible in plain sight. My family is actually part of the founding members of the Mayan League. I myself am a former political refugee, and that is one of the reasons why we as an organization continue focusing our work, particularly with indigenous refugees, asylum seekers, those who are in diaspora. The International Mayan League is the only Maya women and youth-led organization in the United States. They provide direct support to communities in the northeastern U.S., including language interpretation, environmental protection, and indigenous women's rights. If you don't know where you come from, you don't know where you are, and therefore you don't know where you're headed. The critical work is to revitalize ourselves, to revitalize our histories, our stories, our teachings, and to have a process of reconnecting. And Aurora agrees. One of my favorite, favorite things is having youths reach out to Cielo and saying, my mom is also from San Miguel Acatan, or my mom and dad speak Zapoteco. How can I learn the language? But many people that were forced to migrate don't want to relive the trauma and violence that led to their displacement. And this poses a barrier for younger generations, those who were born in the United States to parents who fled their ancestral lands. Their parents don't want to share anything. It's too painful. This has made it so that this newer generation that's uh, growing up has not had the opportunity to learn from their family about the customs, the traditions, maybe the language. I hope that we continue to move in a way that visibilizes Indigenous people because the next generation, they're watching us. They're watching the work that we do. So really, this is for them. Another big endeavor for the Mayan League is providing interpreter training courses. Juanita recalls a particularly powerful moment during an online class. We had breakout rooms and everyone got separated by 
their nation so they could start speaking and having their practice session in, in their particular languages. And when we came back into the main space and everyone's throwing heart emojis and there's smiles and there's like faces that I have lit up and and many comments in the section were, we didn't know that it was okay to speak our languages. We didn't know we had permission to. And the same that it was so beautiful to see the, the power dynamic that changed and the love and happiness that we could see in people's faces. That right there, <laughs> now I'm getting emotional. <laughs> the fact that somebody felt that they need permission to speak what is theirs is emblematic of profound structural racism because they didn't know that it was okay to simply be who they are. They didn't know it was okay to simply be who they are. Just take that in for a second. Every morning when they woke up, they had to figure out how to hide who they were for a chance to survive. As soon as you deny a person their right to exist, as an indigenous person, you right there have violated their human right because you are denying them everything that comes from their humanity, not just language. Indigenous peoples are taught to hide their identity in their own lands. Many people still hide their identity as they're forced to cross borders because it's a way of survival. When entering the United States, it's not uncommon for indigenous peoples to be lumped together under the umbrella of Latino or Hispanic. And many times in our community, we might let those assumptions be placed over us because we're uh, under self-preservation and hiding our identity to survive. That's something that needs to be understood. Like, how do you build rapport with these communities? How do you ask in a way that makes them feel safe and recognizes their indigeneity and the multiple barriers that they come here facing? Cielo and the Mayan League are still hard at work, calling out the continuous mistreatment and mislabeling of indigenous peoples in the mainstream. Just last year, in October of 2022, a leaked audio recording of LA City Council members Nuri Martinez, Kevin De Leon, Gil Cedillo, and Ron Herrera revealed racist remarks, some disguised as jokes, against Black and indigenous communities in Los Angeles. We're not surprised that things like these are being said behind closed doors. That's something that we experience every day as Indigenous people that have been displaced. Here at Pulso, we joined the protesters in L.A. in calling out this racist behavior. Both Martinez and Herrera resigned soon after, but De Leon and Cedillo were still in office. Aurora explains that this is an example of how being progressive and inclusive in Latino circles often excludes indigeneity. We're actually getting a lot of people from the Latino community not understanding why we are asking them to resign. These council members said that they did not say anything racist and that it was Nuri Martinez that said these racist remarks. However, I think it's important to note that when you're in a room and you're having these conversations and you're laughing along with these jokes, you're condoning that. You're agreeing with those uh, racist remarks. And if you are a representative or if you are an elected official and you can't speak up in those spaces, how can we trust these people to continue to represent our communities and the constituents that they're supposed to be serving? 
And earlier this year, the New York Times published an article addressing the horrific conditions that migrant children face while working jobs that violate child labor laws in the United States. Most of the children who were affected were from Guatemala, yet not one mention of Maya or indigenous was in that article. For a family to let their child migrate to the United States without anybody, you know, it's, it's a big sacrifice. And so obviously something is happening in that community and we need to learn more about what's going on on the ground. Because we, we come here not because we want to, but because we have to. As people have said, migration is a right. It is a human right to migrate. We also counter and say staying home is a human right because many of us didn't want to leave. So we need to do better in terms of uh, mainstream media starting to change its language and also government systems. And we have talked to government officials saying there are particular ways in which rights and services need to be provided and addressed. Aurora and Juanita continue to fight for a seat at the table, for indigenous representation, and for language revitalization. We know that racism isn't going to disappear today, tomorrow, in a week. We'll continue to fight for indigenous visibility and we'll continue to fight against language violence and just visibilize the struggles that Indigenous people face, but also show that we are strong communities and we're resilient. And even though we do face a lot of barriers and violence um, every day, we are really great at celebrating together as well. Aurora recalls that on Indigenous Peoples Day in 2022, a vigil was held at Los Angeles City Hall. It was a call for unity and to demand the resignations of the disgraced L.A. City Council members. And I, I remember someone came up and, you know, looked at everybody standing in front and the banda playing. And they were like, is this a protest or is this a party? <laughs> and I think that speaks for itself, right? Because what else could be like the strongest way to show that we are here? You're not going to erase us than showing, you know, the talent within our community, the joy within our community, and to show that we do come together in these times of need. And we're, we're definitely going to continue doing this work because it's not um, just for us, it's for communities across borders and for future generations as well. You can subscribe to the Pulso Pod wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you heard, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and tell a friend to give us a listen. Have questions or story ideas to send our way? Send us an email to info at projectpulso.org. This episode was produced by Jackie Nowak and edited by Charlie Garcia. Audio engineering and mixing by Charlie Garcia. Music by Julian Blackmore. Our hosts are Maribel Quesada-Smith and me, Liz Alarcón. Hey, Pulso fam. I want to tell you all about Atlas Lingue, a Studio Ochenta podcast about language, culture, and communication. Have you ever wondered what your cat is trying to tell you? Or how Disney Pixar writers craft stories that resonate across numerous languages? Atlas Lingue host Luis Lopez explores these topics and so much more. It's a show about the confusing, wonderful, and weird world of language. And this season, they're diving deep into the language of culture online. They're interviewing content creators from different countries who document their daily lives and cultural backgrounds on YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram. New episodes air every other Monday wherever you get your podcasts.
And you can also watch all the interviews on their YouTube channel at 80 Podcasts.